You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of News Talk 770. Welcome back to The Strong Room presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. Why is estate planning important? Here is estate and trust planning specialist Sherry McMillan to answer that question. She's in conversation with Peter Watts of News Talk 770. We really believe at McMillan that estate planning is about life planning. It's not about death planning because ultimately when you create an estate, you're creating it as you go. So each calendar year, you're creating affluence. And what's important is when you create that affluence, how much of it do you get to keep? Because that's the compounding effect of opportunity costs on our money. And so if we keep more of it each calendar year and we live decades ahead into the future, obviously our states are going to grow substantially. So as much as estate planning has importance around our passing when we die and we want to be planning for that so we don't give up undue shares of our estate to the governments, the fact is we also want to be looking at as a living plan, a going concern. And so when budgets like this unfold, um, they're very important that we take notice of them and that we become proactive in the opportunities that we are allowed to utilize and take advantage of those windows of opportunity on an annual go-forward basis. And here we are in April with tax planning in full swing and people saying, why didn't I do this six months ago? And and uh, and now we're facing the deadline at the end of April uh, where the bill has to be paid. And in some cases, uh, the bill is substantial. The trick about estate planning and tax work is that you're so much better off as anything in life about being proactive because by planning in advance, um, you have the privilege and opportunity to take advantage of opportunities. Um, CRA um, never allows us in hindsight to say, oh, I wish I would have planned differently last year. Let me just back that up and correct that. It's uh, We can't ask for forgiveness in no. this arena. So we have to be giving it contemplation in advance. And we always say to families that it's really the first quarter of every calendar year, and especially when the budget arrives, um, that that's the window of opportunity for us to give contemplation to what te- you know, test techniques, um, strategies that we will want to choose to employ for the next calendar year in our design in both our own personal income and also in our businesses and the income that we will be creating there. So protecting assets, maximizing wealth, minimizing tax, all within the rules, but doing it or planning for it at least ahead of time. Uh, because, as you say, Canadian Revenue Agency, nice people, but not terribly forgiving. That's right. And it's really noteworthy, I think, this year in the budget specifically that the new Liberal government has brought forward a number of changes to corporate planning. And specifically, our GDP in Canada is reliant upon corporations' growth. So, you know, the corporate um, designs that they're giving a lot of contemplation to and adopting in legislation this year are to have corporations not go shopping for tax rates abroad. Basically, anti-avoidance rules, Peter, to make sure that we are all paying our fair share of taxation. The challenge with that, of course, though, is that any legitimate business has the right to do business in international ways. We're a global economy today. And so it's not as simple as legislation being passed and, you know, a corporation is mandated to pay tax, for example, in Alberta. All of a sudden, we have the opportunity for people to be saying, well, what if I do a lot of my business out of America? Or what if I do my business out of the EU or UK? 
um, could I have a portion or a new component, a new arm, a new channel of my business operate in another jurisdiction and pay a lower rate of tax? And now, from a competitive point of view, because we have this globalization, I mean, those are real possibilities that business owners are currently looking at. Because, you know, just as a case study, Peter, the tax rates between, for example, Alberta and London, England, which usually had higher tax than us all these years, has a spread of about 9% taxation to the favor of Britain. So, you know, you're going to have real legitimate businesses giving this serious contemplation. So who needs an estate plan? Well, I think everyone that has created an estate in their life, and I think sooner is better than later. So typically, most of our families that pursue this work um, wait until they have a seven-figure type of an estate. But I think you should always consider it earlier. The earlier, the better, because by being proactive, you mitigate undue tax growing with your family's estate. So I always tell families, you know, if you think about your family and you have that wonderful nuclear family of a son and daughter, if you were perfect planners, um, then you also have to bear in mind you have one more child and it's an adopted child. It's not the good child. It's the government, the CRA, or if you are an American person, the IRS, you are ultimately creating a tax burden as you craft your estate to come along with the family ride. And they are entitled to proportion of your estate. So what's really important, Peter, is that we take advantage of some of the opportunities that we have in our jurisdiction to mitigate and minimize that tax and that burden as we grow our estates through time. So I think a lot of business owners are often uh, really giving this a lot of contemplation because it's an asset they put their whole life's energy and work into. The other types of families that we see give this kind of contemplation is families that have U.S. property, that snowbird, um, spend time there. And a great deal of retirees today because retirees have now crafted affluence. And thankfully, they're enjoying that affluence now. But they want to be certain that they're going to keep a lot of it through the decades ahead that they're facing for lifestyle. So families that have created a sizable estate, business owners, people with a business that that ultimately will have to be transitioned to either new ownership or to some member of the family, families with conflict and addiction issues and disability um, challenges, um, again, having a plan. That's what it's all about is, is being able to plan for the possibility that. Uh, the the head of the family suddenly exits the scene and doesn't leave a mess behind. Families uh, with cottages or recreational properties and families with property in the United States, again, because of the IRS and because of the difference in rules and because of the need to be ahead of the curve and not chasing it, all of those reasons are reasons why estate planning for people with wealth should not just be a strong consideration, it should be a reality. That's right, Peter. And one of the things to of contemplation to is most of us will live a lot longer in our retirement phase of life than we did even in our working career. So when we are part of this group uh, of families that have the desire to plan, the other thing that's important to realize is our plan isn't static. It isn't once done, always done. It is completed proactively with the future in mind, but it needs to be assessed also on an annualized basis because it's, it's a living document. That's right. And and there's a number of reasons as to why that is. Obviously, it is because the governments will change the rules as we progress through life, um, as we can see just now historically with our new budget. Um, and it's not just taxation that changes. Legal precedents change in the court systems over time. 
And ultimately, that can enhance or detract from how we design our estate. And so a a case that I always share with families is a lot of people don't know there might be a difference between one jurisdiction in law and another. And so they think they've built this really nice, balanced, uh, fair estate design. But that jurisdiction that they're talking about doesn't allow for that. And so you really do have to know and keep current, what does each legislation and which does each jurisdiction actually entail? And in these days of the global village, that's more and more the reality. And that's the other challenge that we face um, as modern families. And it's a real blessing, don't get me wrong, that we have the privilege to be international families today, but it's very common today as well. So, you know, families that have had the blessing of creating affluence often expand globally, I call it. So what they do is they create affluence, it provides them opportunity, and that opportunity, they seize the day, so they buy that U.S. property. They send their children to Europe to go to school. The kids end up staying over there. Now we have, in one particular family, we could have three, four jurisdictions occurring simultaneously in this family. Well, that's a lot to consider when you're trying to play Monopoly. You know, if my child lives in England and my asset base is in BC and Phoenix and I own a business that's global, how do I design that estate? And what are all the consequences of all the tax and legislation that I need to give contemplation to? And a reminder, the next Macmillan Estate Planning Seminar will be held this coming Thursday evening. Register online at macmillanestate.com. This is The Strong Room.